Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. This week's major spoiler shout-out goes to David Gerhardt, who does the inks on Cerebus for uh, Dave Sim. Anyway, he's also no relation to Amelia Earhart, but he brung you this show, and we appreciate everything you do. Thank you, sir. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Cadillacs and dinosaurs and some seriously supportive undergarments. And what to do when the dead come for you. My advice is identify your succulent neighbors now. And H.E. Double Hockey Sticks Boy becomes El Hijo del Hache de Palios de Hockey Dobles. Plus, I'd love to review the latest Batman film, but I don't own a pornograph. And he did what in his cup? Also, help us find the Stuckies. It's just a fama ha. That was a Yoda joke. It didn't work for me. I'm trying to move on. This has been a test of the emergency spoiler system. Had this been an actual spoiler emergency, you would have been rustled by now. We now return you to the Major Spoilers podcast already in progress. Hey, everyone. Welcome to issue 200 of the Major Spoilers podcast. So glad that you're here for the complete Major Spoilers experience, or at least a part of it. We decided this week that we are all too busy to deal with a big brouhaha surrounding issue 200. Brouhaha? Ha 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 ha. <laughs> Come on, Rodrigo. What's going on, man? You had a wild, crazy birthday last week, and now you just don't, uh, now you just aren't, aren't hitting on all cylinders. That's right. Well, it's because now that I'm 27, I'm too cool for school. <laughs> You're one of now them. he's 18, he can buy cigarettes and he's still a little nauseous. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. This week, let's get into the show by talking about some news. Then we'll have some questions from our <laughs> listeners, reviews, and of course, our big trade paperback of the week. Actually, one or two trade paperbacks of the week, depending on how far people read. Uh, <laughs> in our news section, here are our topics. Hollywood wants to put movies in the home. Dr. Zola to appear in Captain America movie, Rise of the Apes, Star Wars casts available on TomTom GPS, and the HTML comic site taken down by the FBI and comic publishers. And there goes that wheel around and around and around and around and around and around. (gasps) Star Wars cast available on the TomTom GPS. I need to renumber these so that we get a better one. I think you really do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm waiting for the R2-D2 version where you're just driving. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, one of the I've had GPS for, I don't know, almost 10 years now in my car. And to tell you the my truth. My name's Steven the and voice, I buy technology the day it's available. The voice is not the best kind of voice out there. You know, yeah, Steven works like Steven actually writes for a technology. Mm <laughs> hmm. 
or he writes for technology sites. So sometimes he gets stuff before it's available. Sometimes, yeah. but not always. Thank you, Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, so TomTom, Tom, the GPS company, has figured out a way to put different voices recorded into the system so that as you're tooling down the road, instead of listening to the turn right and 500 feet. Do not turn left or there will be a drowning in your future. So they have gone out and they are going to put Star Wars voices in your TomTom that you can select from. I don't know if this is going to be free or not. I'm sure they're going to charge you a pretty penny for it. But you can get uh, Darth Vader, C-3PO, Yoda, or Han Solo to give you directions. Now, the commercial (laughs) that we've had up on the Major Spoilers website, the YouTube video, does have the voice of, um, not John Reese davies uh, James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. My guess is I haven't seen anything about if they're actually using Anthony Daniels or um, Frank um, Frank Oz or Harrison Ford. I think Ford Anthony for Daniels one. is busy writing Batman, isn't he? No, he's doing C-3PO. Oh, that's Tony Daniels. Tony Daniels, bad. yeah, yeah. Yeah, same guy. So I don't know if they're gonna if they actually have hired all these people to do these voices, but on the one hand, it's kind of cool. On the other hand, nerd. <laughs> I just, just want to I want to get on I seventy and hear you're all clear, kid. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Rodrigo, would... thoughts? Do you do you use a GPS when you're traveling the highways and byways of Kansas? I, I don't because a lot of the ta- the highways and byways of Kansas don't exist as far <laughs> as satellite image is concerned. And I think uh, as far as like the, the, the rest of the universe is concerned, I'm pretty sure that I've been on the same road multiple times, someplace between Pawnee rock and the next town over. And it's never the, quite the same length. It's, it's kind of freaky out there <laughs> where there's no one around. Yeah. Sometimes um, it takes longer to get back from places. It actually yeah, is physically longer. It depends than it took on to get- depends on which way you're driving. If you're driving east, it's always faster because you're going against the Earth's rotation. And if you're driving west, you're going with the Earth's rotation. Are so you seriously trying to put the Earth's rotation? <laughs> <laughs> I want to hey, know what yeah, you guys think. It doesn't matter because no matter what, the wind in Kansas, the wind is yeah, always, always blowing gonna, in the opposite direction the opposite from where way, you're going. I just want if to know what you guys think about Star Wars in your GPS navigation system. I, I'm, I'm worried about how much, like, not worried, but I wonder how much it's going to cost. And I wonder if there's, like, a, a like, discount package where instead of getting, like, Han Solo and Darth Vader, you get, like, Grand Moff Tarkin and <laughs> Chewbacca. And, Greedo, Greedo and Ponda Baba. Yeah, Greedo. <laughs> or you get old unintelligible ones. You get Ponda Baba, Chewbacca, and R2-D2. I'm, or, you know, the really good one would be the uh, Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> <laughs> Except Jabba keeps giving you directions to the local Stuckies. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jabba will send you to Stuckies. <laughs> the man didn't get to be 9,000 pounds by not eating those incredibly, oh, I want to say. Pecan, pecan logs. Mm, pecan, pecan logs. logs. Mm. My wife loves them. I can't stand them. Well... I don't. I, I don't have a TomTom GPS. We've always got Garmin, and in fact, I think the built-in one that's in our new car is uh, is a Garmin as well. So built-in GPS. I will not be you able to get the uh, not be able to track. get. <laughs> that's got four a, more tracks than you got. Mr. I've got an. We've got an eight track in the house that still works. So uh, <laughs> and we've even got the eight tracks to go with them. Ah, what a nerd! Hey, Memory. let me ask you real quick. What do you guys think of this uh, Rise of the Apes, the sequel to? The Marky Mark 
Planet of the Apes movie. Meh. Meh. Exactly. All right. Moving along. Any other thing? Um, we did have one other thing where it's like uh, the HTML comics being taken down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do think that the one thing that they got going for them, you know, wh- whatever the next project is, they can just go out there and say, our last website was taken down by the FBI. Yep. Yes, I don't know if that's such a great thing anymore. Hopefully the guy won't go to jail, but who knows? I don't yeah. think he scans the images. I think he waits for someone else to scan them for him. So he's like that middleman that gets so many people in trouble. <laughs> he's the middleman. Hey, man, I know a guy who knows a guy. I, you know, I, on the one hand, I can understand why the publishers want to protect their protect their property. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly part of why they were taking this down. But I think the other part really has to do with protecting not their property, but the digital distribution of their comics. Because mm-hmm. let's say DC, who is not doing any digital comics, suddenly says, hey, we're going to charge two ninety nine for digital downloads. And then uh, they create something that may or may not be similar to what HTML comics was doing. And suddenly HTML comics has a reason to sue. So in this case... DC and Marvel and some of these other publishers are actually there trying to not only protect their property, but also protect the distribution method for the future as well. Well, and there, you know, it's, it's the RA, the RIAA argument again, which is how am I going to get you to pay? How am I going to monetize whatever it is that I'm selling if you can walk over there and read it for free? Right. Exactly. And I will say this for people that, uh, you know, even the RIAA came out just recently or a government study came out recently and said, Hey, all these reports from the RIAA and all these recording industries that say that piracy is having an impact on the business ain't true. In fact, when questions and when pressed, the RIAA or whoever the reporting body that's always claiming piracy is ruining the industry says, we just kind of made that up. We have no statistical proof. This came out in a big uh, congressional hearing a couple of weeks ago. And and here's the thing. This is the first I've heard of it. I think it's the first Rodrigo has heard of it. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> well, come on. I mean, if people believe that piracy is, is having an impact in the industry, one only has to follow. And again, I'll mention Apple, but look at iTunes. There are more people yep. buying songs legally through iTunes than people pirating stuff. And so there's no now statistical proof that piracy has any impact on yep. the music industry. And I'm going to bet it has little to no impact on the movie industry and has zero impact on the comic book industry. Now, I know Given, some people will say, oh, no, no, no. I mean, I, you know, I buy, never buy comics. I just read them online. Well, that may be one or two people, but you weren't going to buy it anyway. So it's not like you're actually yeah. taking money out of somebody's pocket. And given the actual comic book, uh, the size of the audience is probably, in most cases, even if we, you know, take into account people who aren't buying comics currently, can't be more than. 150,000, 200,000 people actually actively going out and looking for the books. Right. They're selling 50,000 copies of a, you know, a good top of the line new comic. So, you know, 10%, 5% of 50,000 people, we're not necessarily looking at millions and millions of people, which. Yeah. Let's just say that 50,000 people go out and get uh, this week's uh, Justice League Generation Lost issue. Right. So let's say 50,000 people at three bucks a pop or four bucks, whatever they're selling that comic book for. That's $200,000. Not a lot of money. I mean, it is to somebody. Right. But if they sell it for 99 cents online. Yep. And that's what they got to protect. And Mm -hmm. I I did talk to a couple of uh, 
publishers and comic book creators this week via Twitter. Some of you that follow us on our Twitter feed, Major Spoilers, uh, I'm sorry, Twitter.com slash Major Spoilers. You may have seen some exchange that I was talking to someone about, and he said, hey, you know what? Uh, it's both protecting their their property and the distribution method, and so he agrees for the reason to take it down. He also just said he didn't agree with the method that they did it because uh, yeah. his company went and just said, hey, take the stuff down, and HTML Comics complied. So this isn't yeah. the first time that a website has gotten a lot of uh, hassle from uh, <laughs> comic book publishers. You know, um, Scans Daily was one not too long long ago that a lot of comic creators popped up and said, hey, we really support what Scans Daily was doing. Um, and so, you know, they've relaunched with some retooling. So I, I think there's a method and a model for it. People just need to yeah. to work it out. And bottom line is they need to stop saying, oh, piracy's going to ruin everything. Piracy didn't ruin anything in the 1700s, and it's not ruining yeah. anything today. <laughs> and the only thing it's really ruined is the career of that one chick who appeared with Johnny Depp and then rolled off the edge of the planet. <laughs> What's her name? Anne Hathaway? I don't know. I don't know who it is. All right, everybody. This week on the Major Spoilers website, some things that you might want to check out. Matthew, I think, has wrapped up his Hero Histories on wrapped the Thunder Agents. the Hero Histories of the Thunder Agents. This week you took a look at Agent No Man. Indeed. Let me and guess, is he a robot? He's more than a robot. He's a robot with an invisibility cloak, a gun, and the mind of a genius. Oh my god, that sounds like 10 This man awesome. should be Wolverine, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> a robot with the mind of a genius who can turn invisible and shoot you. That's cool. It, it's so simple, Rob Liefeld could create it. <laughs> Uh, I've got an article up this week. People have been asking questions, or I guess it was last week. People were asking questions about, oh, what do you do to podcast? How do you podcast? So I've kicked off a series of of articles that will probably appear at least once a month on the website talking about things that you might want to consider when you're wanting to get into the podcasting business. And the first one I thought was well-received. Next time, we'll be talking about the microphones that you might want to use or consider. Yay, Remember Matthew's stuff. first rule of podcasting. Know a guy who wants to do a podcast. <laughs> there you go. Who needs somebody with your particular skill set. And Rodrigo has a great article up today. Today or yesterday, Rodrigo? My days are confused. Today, it was I yesterday. Think. Okay. Today. Oh, no, yeah, yesterday. yeah, yesterday. Yeah, you're right. Well, two days ago because it's coming out on Wednesday morning. What? Ah, uh, it's so confusing. Hello, days of future past, people. <laughs> Nights in white satin, never reaching the end. Where you're looking at one of the new card sets for Magic the Gathering. That's right, the latest one, Rise of the Eldrazi. Gesundheit. <laughs> you can check out these and many more interesting stories over at Majorspoilers.com. And stick around, we'll be right back. How to get a Major Spoilers shout-out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Thank you so much once again to David Gerhardt for dropping in some money into the donation jar over at Majorspoilers.com. Really appreciate everybody who does that. We got yeah. this letter this week from Brandon who writes in and says, Matthew, Stephen, and Rodrigo, first and foremost, I love the show and look forward to it each and every week. I collected comics in high school and college, but eventually I moved on until Major Spoilers. Dun, 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 dun. Without you guys, I would not have picked up The Boys, Irredeemable, or Fables. So I have that going for me, which is nice. 
Wait, wait, wait. You got to do it right. Oh, okay. So I have that going for So I got that going for me, which which is nice, you know. Anyway, I just finished listening to the Major Spoilers episodes or issues 197 and wanted to know if, number one, if there is a comic book company, oh, if there's a comic, comic book company, or universe that treats death as as permanent, and two, if not, would that be something that folks would be interested in? Number one, I don't think we've ever seen a comic, comic book company, or universe that treats death as permanent except for this one that we live in. Right. Are you aware of anyone? Uh, uh, well, actually, uh, there's there's something that that uh, kind of needs to be addressed about that whole thing. Uh, uh, of course, when we say comics and comic book companies, we We're do mean the Marvel superhero movies. lines yeah. of the big companies. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm pretty sure that when uh, we did Left on Mission... Lots of people died, and they didn't come back during that run. And, yes. You know, <laughs> yes, um, you are right. A, a lot of the time, the the imprint and the universe get mashed together. But you know, it, it's not necessarily a, a company thing so much as a company decision about their particular right. franchise, as it is. Yep. So well, in that case, of, when we talk about Marvel and DC, the answer is no. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, DC has had times where death meant something. Um, you know, in the early, late 80s, early 90s, right after Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, deaths of major characters still held some weight, but that ended. I know Joe Quesada, when he came to Marvel in early 2000s, had a dead is dead rule and requested, you know, no, uh, it, with the exception of things that were already in the pipeline, no resurrections. Yeah. But I can That's- think of at least two good examples of comic book uh, story slash universes where Death was not only an important part of it, but death was part of the book, of course. Primary one was Valiant in the 90s, where one of their slogans was, dead is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, Valiant killed a number of major characters off and pretty much left them dead. Um, and just I, recently in Dynamite Entertainment's Green Hornet series, they killed off the elder Green Hornet. That's true. Another example that I like to remember, um, and this one makes... This one came to me entirely because of Brandon's sign-off. He called himself Saker, who was the villain of Bill Willingham's Elemental series. Mm-hmm. In the Elementals, if you take into account, if you walk away from the fact that in order to have their powers, the main characters, Jeff and Becky and Jeanette and uh, Tommy, all died to get their powers, deaths meant something in that series. Minor characters would die, supporting characters. There were several heroes who were just you know, horribly mutilated during the Oblivion War, and, you know, they didn't come back. Now, granted, that series had kind of an abrupt ending when Komiko went under back in the day, but even so, you know, that that was kind of one of the main points of that series, and I think it's, I think it may be collected. I'm going to say I don't think so, because I've tried to find those for years, and even a couple of years ago when I was at Planet Comic Con, where yeah. Bill Willingham was there, People were asking, is it collected? And most of the people getting comics, elemental comics signed were getting the yeah. uh, original signed. So well, a little I, hard to I, find that one. But I have a complete round of the elementals in the <laughs> radio for <laughs> but- Brandon goes on to say, after listening to Major Spoilers episode number 198, I think you guys should have a poll question about Chubby versus Mega Chubby. Coming soon on the Sci-Fi Channel. (laughs) Also, would you guys consider a trade review of V for Vendetta? Please note that this comic is my all-time favorite. So much much so that any mention of that horrible movie sends me into a blind rage. Thank you so much. Um, I agree. 
Yes, I agree that Chubby versus Mega Chubby should probably be a future poll of no. the week. Isn't, isn't that technically this, this week's, week's poll of the week? Yes. Yes. V as, for Vendetta. As far be as V for Vendetta, we will probably look for it somewhere around the first week of November. Yay! All right. So that is that. Let us get to some reviews. <laughs> and if you're wondering what Rodrigo means about so, uh, poll of the week, we'll be getting to that shortly as well. It's definitely a poll. It's not a short one either. <laughs> and somebody's dancing on it, if you know what I mean. So this week, we've got a look at Hellboy in Mexico, cars driving around the tracks, and Irredeemable from Boom Studios. Who wants to kick things off? Not it. All right, so I will go ahead and take a look at <laughs> Hellboy in Mexico. This is a one-shot by Mike Mignola and Richard Corbin, not that Richard Corbin, uh, who is the artist. Sure? I'm pretty sure. So. Okay. The big thing about this series is if you've ever wanted to know what happens when if Hellboy were to ever meet up with a team of luchadores, then this is an issue that you will want to check out. It was released okay. on Cinco de Mayo, and the story finds Hellboy and Abe Sapien waiting for a pickup in a deserted town in Mexico. They seek town. They seek a ref- refuge in an old church where Abe discovers this um, altar with all of these pictures on it, and just so happens to have a picture of Hellboy and three luchadores, which then launches Hellboy into recounting this tale that happened in 1950s Mexico. Um, In this area that Hellboy was sent to, they're being terrorized by all manner of sick and twisted vampires, and the art here is really fantastic. And while there, Hellboy meets these luchadores who have kind of seen the error of their ways. They encountered the, the Virgin Mary, and now they become a quartet of vampire killers. And they roam across the land, killing vampires by day and getting wasted at night. And during this tale, Hellboy recounts that he never learned their names during this entire months that they were together. But he did become friends with the youngest brother. And of course, in Hellboy's universe, the minute you become friends with somebody, something bad's going to happen. So we do find out that the younger's name is Esteban, and he is taken by a swarm of vampires in the middle of the night and turned into a monstrous giant vampire bat who also happens to be a luchador wrestler. (laughs) Well, he wouldn't lose his first class (laughs) just because he multi-class. Yes, exactly. So when Hellboy and the two remaining brothers find out about this, Hellboy has to climb into the ring where the two beat each other down until Hellboy finally puts him out of his misery, which is kind of a nice thing about Mignola when he writes Hellboy he tosses in a perfect blend of humor and horror and then he all ties it together with a bit of character developing tragedy in this issue it's Hellboy killing his good friend in order to save him and through Mignola's words readers can tell that this has a real big impact on Hellboy's life because he even points out at the beginning of the story I've never told this story to anyone Okay, and so you can tell that having to kill this person he was really close with is uh, really troubling to him on the humorous side though Hellboy ends up spending, following the death of this this uh, friend or this turned monster, he spends about six months blacked out or in a blacked out state uh, brought on by severe drunkenness where he doesn't even know what happened during that time period. But then at the very end of the issue, we discover uh, that Hellboy became a famous wrestling luchador uh, running the circuit in Mexico during that six months that he was blacked out. So Nice. Yes, yes, very nice indeed. Uh, what else is nice, as I mentioned, the Richard Corbin art. It's so different from Mignola's uh, signature style, but it's one that's really recognizable when you see it any place. 
Um, there's an immense amount of detail in every panel, and Corbin really brings a lot of horror to these creatures that he's that he's creating. These vampires and these other monsters that are running around, just creepy as all hell. Overall, Hellboy in Mexico is a great one-shot that not only exploits the release date, but tells a bit of, Hellboy, of Hellboy history that changes his overall timeline. And with most Hellboy titles and offshoots that are getting the miniseries treatment this day, I gotta say it's really refreshing to read an issue that's done in one. So I'm giving Hellboy in Mexico four slices of meatloaf or four shots of tequila in this case. Hey, Stephen. Yes. It is that Richard Corbin. It is that Richard Corbin. All right. Excellent. It's the Richard Corbin because I had thought that he had done the art on the Crooked Man previously. Yes. And Corbin's own website does recognize Hellboy in Mexico is the Richard Corbin who did Den for Heavy Metal back in the day. All right. Well, there you go. But I wasn't thinking of that Richard Corbin. I was thinking of oh. uh, a different Richard Corbin. But that's okay. <laughs> so it, it wasn't the Richard Corbin that I was thinking you were thinking. Right. You were exactly. Thinking. Exactly. Which Richard? Was this the Richard Corbin we went to high school with? Yes, that one. Oh, yeah. He was a dick. Yeah, exactly. So Hellboy in Mexico uh, was a great amount of fun. I say check it out if you still can. It might be gone. It's, it's uh, one shot that... Probably did not have a high release, so. Although I think you can actually buy it from Dark Horse's site. Oh, okay. Well, Rodrigo, I say buy it. Okay. What do you say about Cars number five? Um, it's cute. It's uh basically the our our friends from the Cars movie are involved in, and it's like every character from that movie. Yes, Plus a couple of new ones. Yes, it is. Um, are involved in this cannonball race, and <laughs> if you've ever, if you've ever actually watched, um, oh god, what is it called now? Cannonball Run. Is, is it Cannonball Run? Yeah. Um, if you ever watched that, if you ever watched Wacky Races, like the <laughs> Hanna Barbera, oh, yeah, the Hanna Barbera one, yeah. Um, it's actually very reminiscent of that. Because and and it has that same it it it, it makes me ask the same question because. Um, it, everybody's partnered up. So it's, it's Lightning McQueen and Mater and the two girls, Flo, and I forget what the, what the Corvettes or what the Porsche's name is. Um, and then it's Chick Hicks, who is the main sort of bad guy of the, of, of cars and a new character who's basically like his version of Mater. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Like what's a, his name? Uh, Drift King or something like that. Yeah. This something big like that. old, like a big old tow truck. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um. So ask me how I know that. Ask me how I know. Hey, Steven, how you know that? Because I got a two-year-old who's fascinated with everything cars, and every time he every time he hears that I'm going to the bookstore, he wants to go and he wants to get a Cars comic book. So nice. we've had every single one, and he makes us read every single one. And uh, the issues are mightily torn up because, in some cases, he reads them nonstop. Well, that's cute. Um, uh, or annoying, depending on which side of the fence you're on. So, yeah, I'm I'm on I'm on the side that sees that kid once a week. So, <laughs> I, I, I will I will. I'm so you're go in the annoying camp too. All right, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am in the annoying camp, um, but. It, it it brings up the same because because Chick Hicks and the Drift King keep trying to slow down Lightning and Mater, which means that usually they have to be ahead of them to slow them down. Which you know brings up the same thing as in Wacky Races. Like, why don't they just keep going? Why don't they just like speed up and and and, and try to win the the race? You know, in a fair fight. 
Um, and of course, their plans backfire on them, and the two central characters kind of get ahead. Um, it's it's this this book is well written. It's it's really nice because if you watch the movie, like there was there were a couple of characters I'm like I don't remember this character, and then as soon as you read their first thought balloon, it's like oh that's who that character is or the word balloon because the voices are like they capture the voice of each character really well. Yeah, it's like oh yeah, this is the stoner van, and this is the uh, um you know the Sarge, the Sarge. This is the cop car. This is, these are like the ridiculous hot rods. Yeah. So it's all, it's all there. It's, it's a really cool, it's a good continuation of cars. Um, it, it, it brings back little jokes about that were in the movie. Um, you know, like tractor tipping and stuff like that. Yes. So all around it's, it's pretty cute and it has like, it has a really cute intro page. Like you can totally see that animated in your head. Just like the first page. Like, and now here they are, the most daredevil group of cars to ever spin their wheels in the route 66 dash. You know, you're going to have to come over and read the comic to my son. Cause when my wife reads it, it's just like, my son finds this interesting. Mm. She doesn't do voices. Uh, do voices. Yeah. You got to do voices. Got to do voices. Yeah, Voices. You got to do the voice ones. You got to do the accent, or else there's no reason to read the book to the child. Uh, when I do uh, Green Eggs and Ham, my son just won't stop laughing. Mm-hmm. Mainly because I can't read. <laughs> um, hey, Green. Sam guy, Sam guy, what you have there? I got s- some rotten eggs. Do you want them? No, I totally don't. <laughs> Why is there a goat here? I don't know. He wants to eat the eggs, maybe. I'm going to give this four slices of meatloaf. It is, it's really solid. Other than the fact that, um, it's, it's stuff that I've seen before, but even that, even that is, makes it cute and relatable. You know, it's, it's a nice, simple story. It's like, it is kind of like going back and watching wacky races or a slightly more, uh, like age appropriate, um, Cannonball run. Although there's, there was one, oh, there's one little thing in here where like, they're the, the, the boys, the, 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 um, was it Ramon and the yeah. band, the VW band yeah. are, are kind of teasing the girls about who's going to get ahead of them. Um, and Flo says, why don't you make like a, like a fender and get bent? <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was a little strong, but like Matthew Hinton. In the, uh, like Matthew said in the intro, you know, Cars has that thing going for it, you know, it's like, he did what in his cup kind of yep. humor. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's something that'll go over the kid's head, but that, you know, if you're sitting there reading to your kid, you'll actually get. Yep. Good times, good times. That's from Boom Studios out this week from Boom Studios. So very cool. Boom. Out last week from Boom Studios, Irredeemable number 13 by the uh, great Mark Wade. Indeed. Irredeemable is the story of the Plutonian who, for all intents and purposes, could be Superman, uh, but he's gone El Bonzo Seiko and for some reason is trying to kill everyone and everything and yet somehow still has things that mean something to him. It's actually a pretty realistic psychotic break. In recent issues, though, because he went insane, the United States government, and get me, stay with me here, hired an extra-dimensional demon to capture all the other superheroes 
and take them into custody so that they too would not flip out and kill people. Okay. Which, which is pretty interesting. The only one who got away, well, technically two got away. Um, Charybdis, there used to be a long story. Scylla and Charybdis were a team. Charybdis was killed. No, Scylla was killed. Charybdis turned himself into the survivor. He somehow was sucked out of this dimension and is fighting the Orion, the demon in space. And the only escapee is Bette Noir. The single best superhero name of all time. This issue is all about Bette Noir. And it's kind of, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of one of those change of pace issues where you've been running and running and running at full speed and all of a sudden we stop. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's definitely odd in terms of the pacing. Uh, Betty shows up in kind of a, a refugee camp and finds her dad. And we get her first, you know, her bird's eye view of what happened the day Plutonian flipped his lid. So it's kind of a, you know, it's a flashback story, but it's really, it's really taught. And we see some of the heroes who died in the onslaught, and we see the moment where Betty Noir had the ability to stop all of this and chose not to, because to mm. tell the truth would reveal the fact to her husband that she had slept with the Plutonian. Yeah. Betty Noir is dealing with some serious guilt at this point in time. And of course, we see the huge fight, the first fight with the Plutonian. The day that he killed Sky City, the day that he killed basically a room full of eight and ten year old children and just kind of lost his mind. And we end with Modius, who is kind of the Lex Luthor of the world. Right. Uh, Lex Luthor to the Plutonian somewhere all by himself with the body of one of the dead heroes, Scylla. Mm. I have no idea what this means. Bringing back somebody from the dead. Oh, back from the dead. Well, I don't know if he's actually dead dead. I think he may have been, like, put in a coma and left for dead. Comic book dead? Eh, kind of. So this issue dead. is actually, it's not drawn by the usual art. Uh, the usual artist, Peter Krause, not that Peter Krause. Oh, not, not the one guy from we went to high school? No, not the one from Sports Night and uh, Six Feet Under. Oh, okay. Uh, art's handled by Diego Barreto. I don't know if he's related to Eduardo Barreto. But he's good. It's kind of, um, I don't know how to describe it, more of a, not blockier necessarily, but it's not necessarily as finished a style, and yet it still works. Right. You know, and I find that, you know, the coloring on the boom books is always really, really excellent. This one is oh, no yeah. no different, because the flashbacks to full-on superhero action are full color, and then we see Betty in the future you know, in this post-apocalyptic wasteland, and it's all, you know, dark and murky and blue and black. Um, for me, Betty Noir's central problem is probably the thing that really makes this book stick out more than any other from, you know, there have been some books in this territory before. Never a complete, you know, Superman goes insane, but things like the Squadron Supreme have dealt with people, superheroes, going against their principles for what they thought was a greater good. This one's really got a lot of depth to it. I'm going to say three and a half slices of meatloaf, not having Peter Krause to me brought my enjoyment in the art a little bit down, but it's still a strong issue. Irredeemable is probably, you know, month after month, one of the more fascinating titles out there. And they always do something that you don't expect. Yeah. You get to the point where you expect a big superhero slap fight and it goes, 
you know, somewhere else, or we get to the point where you expect a quiet moment and it turns into a big superhero slap fight, you know, it's, it's never something that you can predict. And I think that's a really good thing. Cool. Well, it's certainly become one of your favorites over the last couple of months. So cool. You can check out these reviews and many more, including a whole bunch of green Hornet reviews over at the majorspoilers.com website. So check that out. Yay. Yay. And now that reviews are done, it is time for. It's time for the major spoilers. Ball of the week. Hey, on the poll of the week this week, a lot of media. <laughs> you said on the poll. <laughs> Which is quite appropriate for this week's poll of the week. Uh, <laughs> a lot of media attention is being cast upon Vivid Entertainment, the adult uh, video in, uh, company, over the last couple of months as the word is spreading that the company is set to release an adult movie paro- parodying, making fun of, the 1960s Batman television series. Now, certainly the buzz surrounding the release has prompted Vivid Entertainment to do some other things, including today they no- announced the launch of a new imprint called Vivid Superheroes where they plan to continue the superhero porn parody of characters in both the DC and Marvel catalog, including Green Lantern, Captain America, and I'm sure Iron Man is going to pop up at some point. See what I did there? So with Batman Triple X, a porn parody set to arrive this month, it leads us to the major spoilers poll of the week, which is, do you want to see pornographic parodies of your favorite comic book superheroes? We have three options. Yes, I want to see my heroes in and out of costume. No, let's keep some things pure and just let comic artists deliver the titillating images. Or C, no opinion. I'm not interested in watching, but not bothered by it either. Did he just say one, two, and C? Yes. One, two, <laughs> and C. It's a it's a rough week. I've already had a couple. Never been before. good at that whole. The worst part about it is that it was pitched as a true or false question. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew. Hi, how are you? I actually, I think people may be surprised by my take on this because I chose no for two reasons. One, um, I don't necessarily, I'm bothered in a way, not necessarily that, you know, they're going to have Batgirl naked or that Batman is going to be involved in these things because obviously I think that porn parodies or porn titles at least parodying existing movie titles is a long-standing thing. Right. And I know that, you know, legally speaking, parodying a public interest like that can, in fact, and has been proven in the past to be defensible. But I look at it from kind of a trademark perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm bothered by the fact that Vivid is able to do this with characters who are owned by another company. Right. Without really even going out of their way to change to say the name Batman. So I said... Right. No, up to a point. Okay. But that also does bring up a question for me of, doesn't this really prove that comic books are no longer for kids? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. Well, let me just point out something that, well, never mind. Okay. Well, I was going to say, let me point out something. I'm trying to look at another image here. Mm. Maybe... You know what? The you have thing to turn is, the safe search off to, to be able to see well, that. If, yeah. I mean, even if you just do, this is the thing. If you just do a search for Batman and Robin with Google safe porn. search off, the first image you're going to come up with is Batman and Robin making out from porn. the animated series. And then followed and I by know a bunch that of porn. Whenever I went searching for a picture of Batgirl, mm-hmm. it was all, you know, little hand-drawn images of Batgirl tied up by Poison Ivy and tickled right. by Harley Quinn. And, right. you know, there's there's a lot of that sort of thing out there. Yep. 
But those people aren't necessarily making money off their images and renditions of Batman. Could be. I don't know. Oh, Some people well. doing it on commissions or whatever else. That's true. So, uh, I was I needed to look at the trailer really quick <laughs> uh, because I've noticed something over the last day. I noticed something over the last day. People are like uh, bringing up this question to you, Matthew, that you brought up. What about trademark and right. and whatnot? I need to see uh-huh. the trailer because as I look at the cover that I posted today, uh, talking about um, about Vivid launching this this new brand. Right. If you look at the cover, you don't see the Batman and Robin logo being used. You see the right. name, and Batman could be anybody. It could be a name named Batman. Um, oh, yeah, and they don't have the bat symbol or that's what the I'm R looking at, on their costume. Right. They don't. Yeah, on the, on the costumes, you don't see the symbol. So they could get away with it just on that point alone. And as well, I'm scrubbing gonna... through the, uh, the video, uh-huh. it looks like Robin has either a... My guess is a K. No, it's either a K or a it's Y. An it's, an, it's, an it's an X. It's an X. Okay. They are using the the actual Batmobile from the show, but even that was designed by I want to say Rick Jeffries. Yeah. And that's you know that's owned by somebody else. But something that may trouble Vivid is that Superheroes is a trademark that's owned by DC and Marvel. So they may not be able to call this imprint Vivid Superheroes. They might be able to call it Super Hyphen Heroes. Super Hyphen Heroes is trademarked as well. Oh, well, there you go. But Super Hyphen Heroes. One, they could argue that uh, Super Heroes is as normal as Kleenex. True. A lot of people have. So that's oh, probably why spam. they can get rid of it. So, like so yeah, it's a triple X for the Batman logo and a, what do we say, a, an X for the Robin For logo, the Robin so. logo. Yeah, they're good. It's that's actually how, Zobin. Uh, let's see. It stars uh, Dale DeBone. James Dean as uh, Robin, <laughs> Tori Black as Catwoman, and Lexi Bell as Batgirl with Evan Stone as the Riddler, and Randy Spears as the Joker. Grand and geez. apparently I've seen some images of someone dressed up as um, <laughs> Harley Catwoman. Quinn. It also yeah. has Alexis Texas. She's all right. Kimberly Kane, Siren Sexton, Le- Levy Cash. Alec Knight and Ron Jeremy. Ha ha ha. There you go for Ron Jeremy as the walrus. <laughs> Maybe as the penguin or something. Who knows? Rodrigo, what did you what did you say? Um I, I also said no, but not not for necessarily the uh the reason that you had here on the poll. Actually, and 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 leave it to me to go down to it going down to a philosophical issue, but I Sure, parody is protected under law, but I don't think this is a parody. Like, I don't, I think aside from like maybe little jokes about how like campy or corny the, the, the show was or, you know, how weird it is to have a guy dress up and, and go around. Like, this is probably not actually a parody. Like, it's slash fiction. Mm-hmm. So it, it annoys me that they're using they're calling it a parody even though it's probably not i mean it might be it might turn out to be an incisive uh commentary on you know studio production in the in the 60s but more than likely it's not going to be that's the part that bothers me i know why they're calling it a parody and i know why they are uh obviously holding it as such but it it annoys me that they're using that where it's when it's probably not going to be so that's one thing that bugs me about it. The second thing is that, um, and I've, we've talked about this before, how like 
having restrictions and and problems sometimes makes a a, a work better. Right. I think forever, you know, the 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 one of the cool things about porn that everybody made fun of and everybody talked about were the funny names, you know, right. Forrest Hump and you know, just ridiculous stuff like that. Hannah right. does her sisters. Exactly. Now two longs make a white. <laughs> exactly. Now that now that you can just call something what you know, Thirty Rock, a triple X parody, which by the way is actually out there. Yes, and there's also uh, ER a triple ER X. the X Files. They've got uh, Adam's family coming up, and apparently Superman. Yeah. A so now that you can just call it that, you know, any people have commented that on the on our site, they're like, "Well, why doesn't this have a funny name?" It doesn't have a funny name because it's. It's just hiding behind that ages to become actual slash fiction, which is a smart idea, but kind of annoying to me. Okay. All right. So you said no. Matthew said no. And, you know, a lot of people are going to be surprised by my answer. Um, I went with no opinion. You know, I like porn, but to me, a lot of porn is really a waste, in my opinion. I mean, those that have an interesting story or a waste and some hips and some legs underneath, (laughs) you know, porns that porn Porn movies that have an interesting story or have a fantastic production value always will attract my attention just because of the story or the production value. And Vivid does a good job of both of these areas. I don't agree that that point is exploitation that someone pointed out. No one's forcing anybody to do anything that they want. And most of the adult stars that I've met or had interactions with or regular interactions with are nothing like what people expect or how that they really appear in these videos. Now, that being said, I'm not interested in seeing this movie. I'm not a fan of either of the of any of the stars in the movie, and really, I think most of what's most people are going to be disappointed in the movie once they do watch it. I mean, to make this not so X-rated, blue uh, 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 screwing is screwing, and a lot of the time it's not glammed up sex that you see in an Andrew Blake film, nor is it a high concept (laughs) piece that's found in uh, a small percentage of films that are out there from Digital Playground or others. Most of the time, dialogue is cheesy. There's little to no acting going on at all. And most of the actions that are performed are not even something someone who's in really good shape, who's a non-porn star, is going to be able to perform. Uh, and So the, you're mad that you can't do these <laughs> no, things? No, 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 no. I'm not saying I can't do these things. I said most people can't do these things. Oh, <laughs> oh my bad. The other thing is that people are going to keep in mind is you see these people in the trailer, and a lot of people look really good with little to nothing on. But sometimes the full reveal is going to be kind of disappointing uh, just because of the enhancements <laughs> and things that people have gone and done. So I really don't care if Vivid Superheroes continues with its porn parodies of the comic books. If it's if the cast is good and the production value is good, yeah, maybe I'll check it out. But I'm not going to rush out and pick these up at the local porn shop just because it's got Batman on the title. Um, Rodrigo? Yes? Is this how you feel when I start talking about the guys who worked at EC Comics back in 1952? Um, because I'm listening to Stephen talk and going, "My God, how can he know these things?" <laughs> Look, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess a little bit. <laughs> Look, I don't think parodies are going to hurt the publisher's property. No, I don't think. Really. I don't think it's going to. Obviously, as we just discussed, it's not going to hurt their trademark or a copyright. If anything, it might create a new group of people who are interested in the title. Mm-hmm. What the publishers it have might done, create, it might create a way for mainstream pornography to be created. Now, I don't know if well, you know, DC would ever do it. But. No, I doubt it. 
you know, the publishers have allowed slash fiction and the adult-oriented images of their characters to appear for years, often for sale, and they've not made a major crackdown on this. So I don't think that they're going to really do anything with Vivid. I'm sure there will be an attempt, but if they are going to make an attempt, it's going to be more of a, well, we have to just to show it as opposed to we must because it's wrong kind of an attempt. So I say if you're interested in Batman XXX, a porn parody, I say go out there and enjoy the boobies, enjoy the wangs, enjoy the combo of superhero and naked bodies if you want to. There's really nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And uh, honestly, Stephen, yes. the, major- the majority of our pollsters are agreeing with you. Oh, really? And wow, that's a switch. <laughs> ouch. What? Jeez. That's hurtful. That's no, I hurtful. said most of the time they agree with you. Oh, okay. And, of course, as I try to scroll down, all of a sudden my entire computer says no. So I'm going to say <laughs> 157 like million people voting with Steve. Three, 300 and, yeah, 303 votes cast so far. Yeah. 41% and, saying, right now they say 41% saying no opinion. They're yeah. not really bothered, nor are they interested in watching. 37% say yes, they do want to see the the porn of their superheroes and 22 percent said no let's keep things you know where it belongs now i would like to say one thing and and victoria victoria had suggested that she and i should do a dueling review of this film Mm -hmm. i would be perfectly happy to do that for purely review purposes i I don't you know i thought about it i thought about it and i was like you know on the one hand it's enough of it's enough of a pop culture superhero thing. thing that it would we could justify it quite easily. But on the other hand, I, I can tell you there's not going to be a story in this. It's going to be a series of <laughs> we got to go catch this guy. <laughs> Batman goes and finds the Catwoman. They screw. Catwoman meets Batwoman. <laughs> they screw. Then Commissioner I saw a movie in college Batman, called they Brat screw. Girl that was interesting. So I really don't know if there's going to be you know that much of a story to where you could actually review. So you'd have to be talking about, okay, what did they do in this scene that took 20 minutes of the time, but only <laughs> a minute of it was dialogue. So it, it's not really... Yeah, you know, I so. would take that hit for the faithful spoiler rights. <laughs> I would be willing to... And never mind. Because there are some things you do for your fan base. Atlantis says, I'm honestly surprised it's taken them this long. They're usually much more timely about this sort of thing. He's talking about the porn industry. I'm very disappointed that it was simply called Batman XXX instead of something clever. I demand humorous parody titles that lack subtlety. Gee, did uh, The Pork Knight. <laughs> yes. That would be perfect for a Ron Jeremy <laughs> film, wouldn't it? Uh, Thomas yep. says, no, I don't have to see the trailer at all. Pornography is the exploitation of human beings who are often sexual abuse victims. They can label it parody, but it's just a poor excuse to profit from the exploitation of others. And the Litany of Thieves th- Litany of Thieves says, my reaction is purely meh. There's a porno parodying everything. I watch porn maybe once every couple of months and personally could care less what the plot is or what the, what the costumes are. It sh- I'm sure it'd be worth a look for a laugh, but I wouldn't bother paying for it. And that's kind of the way I feel as well. Yeah, some of the best porn is, is watched with the volume turned off and the fast forward button on. And, you know, it, th- this is the truth about porn. Most of the time, you only need it for about three to seven minutes at a time. <laughs> I met, uh, I met, I'm just uh, being straight my, with you. My opening line when I met Charmaine Star, my opening line to her was, you know, I wish I could say that your movies are great, but I can't get past the first 30 seconds of any of your scenes. <laughs> yeah. <Hey-o. laughs> uh, 
Uh, and yeah, on that. so two hours of something could be a little little long. I All will right. say this though: I don't believe yes. that Batman is inherently somehow noble and beyond this sort of base perversion. Oh no, no, no! I feel like Batman is probably you know to some degree comic books are on the same level in certain parlance as pornography in that they're both kind of you know side industries which have grown their own little way of doing things and their own kind of homegrown rules and regulations because of the limitations of of the genre and the limitations of what they do so yeah i you know <laughs> batman it's batman litany of thieves uh posted another comment he says on a side note I imagine that this is the only time that a porn star would look at the source material and think, crap, I need to work out, diet, get surgery, or whatever to look way more like the source material. Nice, <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone, you can cast your vote on porn star superheroes over at Majorspoilers.com. And when we come back, we're going to be taking a look at the Xenozoic era in Xenozoic Tales from Mark Schultz. Hello, I'm Alan Partridge, and this not 61 second review goes out to Sandgrounder. And if you got that reference, you're British. My name is the Dexter 102, and I'm not going to give you a 61 second review this week. As some of you may or may not know, it is Major Spoilers 200th issue. Woo! I wanted to talk about things that I've enjoyed since coming across Major Spoilers. So I came across Major Spoilers in about January of this year through the Critical Hit podcast, which if you haven't checked out already, please go and check out. It's just awesome. And I was amazed by how professional it was, the depth of the discussion. Just really, really excited about it. And it made me read things and watch things that have had a profound effect on me. For example, Watchmen. I would never have picked up the Watchmen trade without this nudge by Major Spoilers. And go back into the archives and find out it's issue number 81 where they discuss the Watchmen. It's going to make you want to read it again if you've already read it. And I also wouldn't have seen films like Good Morning Vietnam, like 2001... Just wonderful films and TV shows that I wouldn't have missed out on, that I would have missed out on otherwise. And I'm so pleased about that. And every time I hear that on the podcast, I kick myself. I do a little Snoopy dance. I can't believe that I'm allowed back on the podcast. Thanks to all the spoilerites who supported me in that. Okay, next week we are going to have a 61 second review of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Until then, peace and love. And I fell in love at the Apple Store. <laughs> and I think I may come back for more. Thank you so much for those kind words, Dexter. And remember, if you have any thoughts or comments, or if you want to contribute to the Major Spoilers podcast, all you have to do is contact us at the Major Spoilers hotline, which is Matthew. 785 39 the major spoilers hotline see if we were going to make a porn parody of the hotline we could still call it the really hotline somebody said uh somebody said is uh can we expect a critical hit uh, porn parody called critical hit hitting it harder or something like that is but, but they're all guys <laughs> there are no female characters in the in, uh, not, not, not that there's the party, anything no. wrong with that i mean 
By no means am I saying that. This conversation needs to end. Yeah, 600 does. years from now, the Earth will be, I don't know, Covered quite different. Covered in Cadillacs. Quite different than the way it is today. Earth has been ravaged by pollution and natural disasters of all sorts in this series. Xenozoic Tales or Xenozoic Tales from Mark Schultz. To escape this, humanity built vast underground cities in which they live for about 600 years. Upon emerging, the humans find the world that has been reclaimed by previously extinct life forms, most spectacularly by dinosaurs, in this new era. Technology, eh, it's extremely limited, but those with mechanical skills command a great deal of respect and influence. And that's where we meet our heroes, Jack, what did you say, Tenerak? Tenrick? Tenrick. And Tenric. the Wasoon hottie, which I forgot her name. I didn't write it down. Hannah. Hannah. Hannah Montana. Hannah uh, Dundee. Hannah Dundee, that's right. See, now that's a porn star now. <laughs> yeah. Hannah Dundee. Hannah Dundee. And Penny Flame in... So... Xenozonic Tales with an I. Rodrigo, were you able to read the both both volumes or just the first volume? Um, the whole I read 14 issues. Okay, so that's the first two volumes of the series. Uh, it came, mm. comes out in two volumes. Volume 1 covers issues 1 through 6, and Volume 2 covers issues 7 through 14. So Rodrigo got to read everything. He read the original uh, original issues. And I will say this. Some people <laughs> may have caught on to this over the last couple of episodes. We've reviewed Telos, Battle Chasers, and now Xenozoic Tales, which are three series which have never been completed. Mm-hmm. Xenozoic Tales, as good as it is, I gotta say up front, it was a disappointment when it was originally released in its release schedule. And just to kind of give you an idea of the re- release schedule for this book, February 1987, I was in high school, and Xenozoic Tales came out with issue number one, 36 pages black and white. Issue number two came out in April. Issue number three came out in June. Issue number four came out in November. And then the spacing between issues started to grow and grow and grow. Issue number five came out in 1989. Issue number eight came in, out in 89. Issue number 10 came out in 1990. Issue 11 and 91, 12 and 92, 13 and 94. And the final wow. issue, number 14, came out in 1996. So I was out of college married and living in another state by the time they reached issue number 14. And that was part of the frustration. Yeah, it's probably that too. That was part of the frustration with this series because it's so interesting, for my opinion. I found it so interesting. The art is so spectacular that I wanted to read it all the time. But it not only suffered from release issues, but it also went through several different publishers. It went through Kitchen Sink Press. It went through Marvel. It went through um, Tundra. Yeah, Dark Dark Horse and Tops finally republished it in color, I think, if I remember correctly, at one point. Mm-hmm. So it was incredibly hard to try to remember, well, am I reading Xenozoic Tales or am I reading Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which it was sometimes branded as, to get people interested in the series. So from that point, we've reviewed three series now that have never been concluded, and I'll give you a hint. People who are listening to this early, you might want to check the Major Spoilers website today on the day of the release of this podcast because we might have a little special feature about unfinished stories up on the website. Might we? We just might. So, <coughs> Rodrigo, you are big on the dinosaurs. Uh-huh. So give us a lowdown rundown of Xenozoic Tales. What's the bird's eye lowdown on this caper? Whatever that means. <laughs> okay. 
Um, so Xenozoic Tales or Xenozoic Tales, um, as normal people pronounce it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's rare about, when you and I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, this is that. That that rarely happens, mostly because when one of us talks, the other one's usually just not paying attention. Blah um, blah blah. Move it along, gentlemen. All right, all right, all right. So um, <laughs> we start out in the city, city at the sea, city by the sea, something like that. Yeah. Um, where you kind of get these these people that are living in in a modern city, but they're kind of behind technologically, and you find out that you know there are dinosaurs kicking around, um, and they're all hu- there's a big hubbub because a um an ambassador from another tribe is coming down and this other tribe has all these different like fishing techniques and all this stuff and they're looking to open trade and do all this stuff now the ambassador happens to be a smoking hottie um that we get to see in various um skimpy to you know kick-ass um what i want to say like let's just uh, let's just say about the clothing of the future man they sure know how to make some leather pants that conform to every square inch of the body Yes, they do. And, and just, just to, to, to be, um, you know, cause it's, cause it's an equal opportunity future. You know, the, the main male character spends a lot of time also in tight jeans and with a shirt ripped, ripped open. So there's, there's, you know, there's stuff for everybody there. Um, but, uh, so as, as you go on, you find out more about this world. It's full of dinosaurs. They're kind of technologically behind. Um, and they're, People are just trying to make a, you know, to, to get along, you know, put, you know, farm some things and, and keep all the dinosaurs from overrunning the city and stuff like that. Um, and as I was reading it, I was like, okay, cool. You know, Cadillacs, dinosaurs, the, the, the main male character, Jack Tenerek is kind of this outcast shaman who loves Cadillacs and has been searching the, the, the world of the ancients. And finding these Cadillacs and restoring them so that he can drive them around in the desert like a fool. Yes, <laughs> they run on dinosaur doo-doo. Yep. Wano so if anything, he's, he's a green energy uh, advocate. He really is. He's big on, into like maintaining the balance of the environment and, and things like that. And believes that the cataclysm that brought the world to its current state happened because people weren't observing the balance. So he's a right. very... Very much that, that kind of like, actually kind of sometimes to an annoying extent, a very, uh, like sometimes he comes, sometimes he comes across as an environmentalist. Sometimes he's basically an eco terrorist. Yeah. Uh, What's, what's interesting about this timeline, and I don't know if this was ever really intended because, like I said, this first issue came out in 1987. Down the line, we learn that in 2010, Yes. Is about the time when the cataclysm occurred. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's right about now. Gosh. Scary. And, of course, that all has to do with, you might want to read into global warming, changes in weather patterns, uh, uh, seismic activity, all of these things building <laughs> to this huge world destructive event. So, who knows if Mark Schultz was actually foreseeing the future, and someday this may all come to pass. The or future! Or... If it's just a passing coincidence. So what is uh, what is the Wasoon? What does uh, Hannah Dundee want down here with the with the city by the sea? Well, first, you know, you think that she just wants to open trade and stuff, but she has she has an agenda. And the governors of the city by the sea have an agenda. And 
that, that's that's something that I found really interesting about this uh, this book is that it could have just gone along with cool cars and dinosaurs, but it actually has this kind of slowly blossoming plot about politics. It's all about political maneuvers. Yeah, um, which uh, which which was really interesting. Well, and me. that's. Uh, and that's what I found interesting, too, and maybe, Matthew, you saw this, too, is, you know, when you first read the first couple of stories, they seem to be like little standalone tales that mm-hmm. you might see yeah, little, in, like, one of the creepy tales or creepy stories or something like that. Little uh, little vignettes, yeah. And then once you get past, I don't know, maybe the fifth or sixth issue, and certainly once it's you about get past issue the first four. Trade, yeah, then suddenly it all explo- explodes into, no, these aren't individual little vignettes. These are chapters. And the chapters really go into, and I like the political intrigue that's going on in this Mm. in this story. They're playing multiple sides against one another. At one point, uh, uh, the main one of the main reasons we discover that Hannah wants to come to the city is because she wants to get into the vaults that are buried beneath the city to get into the library to access the ancient tomes. Well, the ancient tomes are controlled by this uh, crazed woman. I wouldn't even begin to pronounce her name, Sharzat or whatever her name is. Um, and she's not pleased that essentially the woman and Jack show up and totally change the dynamic of how these mole people live. And they're all forced to the top side, which forces her to go on a political tirade to overthrow the government. And she really, by the end of the second volume, overthrows the government and is essentially turning Jack's balanced world into one that's completely unbalanced. Mm Mm-hmm. I believe it's Scharnhorst. It's yeah, uh, something like that. I don't know if it's German or Afrikaner, but it's it's. I want to say it means something, but I don't necessarily know what it means. Well, there's that German lady. Well, some uh, of the names, like for example, the uh, the guy that likes the Zeeks or like the pterodactyl guys, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and you know, eventually he ends up building or getting on a little plane that Jack builds for him so he can fly with them. His name is Renfro Rinkus. <laughs> which is a reference to a Ranfarinkus, which is a little uh, pterodon, oh, like cool. a little flying uh, dinosaur type guy. Cool. See, now only Rodrigo would know that. Yeah. But I, one thing that really bothers me is, now I've never read Xenozoic Tales. I saw the cartoon. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs cartoon, which yeah. took some serious liberties. But when I was reading issues one, two, three, as I was building into this, it built slowly. And I looked at the art and I'm like, man, I'm loving this art every second. Every page reminded me of the work of like Johnny Craig and Jack Davis when they did the classic work for EC comics on like Tales of the Crypt and all right. the things that, you know. Well, you the, know, the art is so nuanced and so incredible. Oh, it is. Especially in the black and white. And the story moves at a pace that I'm just kind of not liking wanting yeah to go you know and it takes about five issues before i really started picking up enough secondary cues to start putting together you know what the through lines of the story were mm-hmm. but i mean the getting there was amazing every single panel featuring hannah is just like wow i mean you yeah, can look it up yeah. well it's not oh, even, yeah, it it's is. not even so much that you look at that you're like oh my god look at the just the technique there's a sequence where she's standing with a rifle and she's got the super tight pants and her little black tube top. And I'm like, 
in looking at the spotting of the blacks and everything mm-hmm. in, in top and the background and the way she pops out from the gray boulder behind her, I'm just like, it's an amazing technological or, uh, you know, craft related thing. Yeah, the way he, yeah, yeah, the way he technically breaks down the art and the way the storytelling works is just amazing. So, I mean, it, that's what carried me through those first four issues until I really started getting on board with the story mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark Schultz has gone on record to say that his art is influenced heavily by the EC Comics, creepy tor- the creepy stories, and uh, yeah. and other titles that came out from that company back in the 50s. And it just, you're right, Matthew, this art is just so wonderful. If anybody wants to just try and find these trades, and I'm pretty sure you can get them up on, on Amazon. We were looking at the original issues. Um, Rodrigo was looking at the trade. Um, but you can, man, you could just spend hours uh, looking at these pages and just love every moment of it. There, it's just that spectacular and that wonderful. Xenozoic Tales Volume One after the end is available on paperback uh, for mm. wow, kind of expensive. You have to buy it used, uh, forty bucks. Yeah, and a Volume Two is going for forty bucks as well. Yeah, and coming out of the Thunder Agents hero history directly into finishing this up, Wally Wood was one of the artists who worked at EC, and just mm-hmm. the breakdowns, every scene with Hannah is like it, it, she looks like a Wally Wood female character and that right. is definitely a compliment mm-hmm. whereas I, I look at jack and i'm like I, I swear he's drawn by johnny craig on the cover of tales <laughs> of Suspense, you know is that the one you with can the hatchet see? is that the hatchet issue hatchet issue <laughs> the one i'm actually thinking of is the one where the guy is watching his wife be i think she's in like an acid bath or something oh okay. but there's this face and this particular facial expression that you keep seeing on tenrek's face the, and i'm like is it the gritted yeah. teeth and the big eyes Kind of, the the big eyes and yeah, the yeah. kind of the half the grim half smile that yeah, yeah, yeah. the kind of a Jim Kirk face that he does yeah yeah but well, there's I mean there's so much going on with the art and so much wow she's in a bathing suit yeah wait till, wait till <laughs> so, you get into that second volume Matthew of the or the single issues like issue gosh it's got to be thirteen or fourteen where she's out in the water and she's wearing like this stitched together bikini bottom. It's it's I mean it's really yeah. I mean even the fact that he took the time to draw the 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 uh, cross the lacing on it yeah, yeah the lacing on the crotch area is just like wow that he actually took that amount of time instead of just drawing a simple whoosh whoosh there's the bikini bottom he took the time to add all of that detail in it and every panel whether it's the scales on the dinosaurs the um, detail of a gun what you're mm-hmm. seeing in the facial expressions or just the city in general the city by the sea and also Wasoon. Uh, just fantastic and phenomenal art. It's just like, this is what got me when I was first reading comics. This was one of those first stories that I picked up just because I was blown away by the art. And I said, oh, wow, cool cars and hot girls and dinosaurs. I got to pick this up. And I could just spend time after time flipping through these pages and looking at them and just going, wow, I can't believe how great this art is. Now, in addition to the art... There also seems to be an influence of style in the writing, Matthew. You wanted to talk on that as well, especially when it comes yeah. to the Eustace the Postman story. The Eustace the Postman story is pure Will Eisner spirit kind of tale for me, where the focus of the story isn't necessarily the the two-fisted hero, but things that happen in his world. And I loved the actual story. I believe it's an issue, either issue four or issue five. Mm-hmm. Where basically it's the story of Eustace. It's told in third person, 
Right. So we're actually seeing it as a, this is something that happened as, in, as in opposed to the rest of the book, which is kind of that omniscient narrator. Mm-hmm. There aren't really any caption boxes per se. You know, we're seeing what's happening through that first person camera. But this story is, uh, it's just about a young man whose job is to deliver the mail. And I'm like, first of all, you know, this was a bad movie with Kevin Costner. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic wasteland, a guy delivering the mail. But it's an amazing sequence because it's about this weird guy and something terrible that happens that really isn't all that terrible when you think about it. His mail gets a little dirty and he loses one particular item. But to him, it's like the end of the world. And we see this and it's as gripping and it's as, you know, suspenseful. Can he find the missing letter? And it goes on for 12 or 15 pages. And it's beautiful. And at the end, there's this little, you know, the little Will Eisner Philip where something simple happened that nobody knew about. And at the end, you know, it's a story of a simple man and a failure. And it's just amazing to me how incredibly well-crafted and how I was drawn into that piece. This is the point where I started going, hey, wait a minute, you know. Well, I love that influence there. You're right, because the end is... He has to deliver this letter that talks about some destruction that happened. I don't know where, but they need a report. It's, like it's, it's a damage report from right. one, of the, one of the farming colonies. Right, and it gets stuck to the bottom of his foot, and we don't know that. He's looked all over for it, and it's only when he steps through this puddle of water that we see it peeling off and folding away. You're right. right. At that point, you realize, hey, these stories are connected because you get to the very next story that's being told or the very next chapter, and it's like, hey, we never received that letter. Where is it? How are we supposed to you know, get supplies out to the farm yeah. or wherever if we don't have this this damage report. And then it, that's where it suddenly yeah. clicks for that. There's also And it makes it makes sense in the narrative, but it takes just what could have been a little moment and it turns it into Eustace's story. Right. Right. And it gives us Eustace's perspective and this horrible, heartbreaking tragedy that really only matters to him. His I mean his reliability is damaged. He's no longer incredibly, unstoppably perfect in his deliveries. And it's like heartbreaking, and it's the end of his world, and everybody else is just like, oh, damn, we better get another copy of that report. Yeah, so well, and also it's also a little, I don't know, touching because he's he's not all there. He doesn't have all his faculties. He's, his, oh, he's okay. this kind of big, dumb oaf. But Eustace does appear later in the series, and he methodically sabotages a train that the uh, that the crazed governor wants to send out into the out into the world, and that kind of redeems him as this dumb character because he comes off so brilliantly at the end of that at that story arc. There's also Rodrigo something that we haven't touched on yet: this idea of these supernatural beings that populate the world of of uh, Xenozoic or Xenozoic tales. Mm-hmm. The Griff. Yes, tell us about them. The Griff, and 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 this is one of those those things where it's uh, kind of sad that this never got completed because you never get to quite figure out what the deal with them is. Um, but there are these kind of lizard people. And after their first appearance, you realize that Jack has had his extensive contact with them. They're kind of like these far off people of the land kind of visitors. But don't confuse them with the sea stack. That's right. Although they, you know, they're similar actually. Um, for I was those, the dragonborn myself. Yeah, for those of you who are uh, familiar with Chrono Trigger, they're actually really reminiscent of reptites, and especially when you put them in uh, in this dinosaur con- context. Except the reptites were kind of against people, but we don't know that these guys aren't because this was never finished. Um, <laughs> it's it's cool because you know there's 
uh, in uh, kind of future apocalypse science fiction, there's always this opportunity to bring in concepts where you look at them and you're like, oh, that's cool. Um, these guys can't talk. They can't actually formulate words. Um, so they communicate with Jack through these mysterious tiles, little tiles made of wood that have random little numbers on them. And none of the characters know what the deal is with them. And of course, they turn, you know, we know that they're Scrabble tiles. Right. Um, and throughout this thing, they like kind of like everything else, you know, this, uh, Matthew, Matthew was, you know, definitely had a point in that this moves very slowly, but also in that kind of slow, methodical way. The Griff become more involved. You find out about who the old bloods are, mm-hmm. which, you know, Jack turns out to be a part of. And what, um, are the and what their bloods? relationship is. What are the old bloods? The, the old bloods are the descendants of the people who ran the machines, um, in the under, uh, in the bunkers where everybody locked themselves up for, you know, a hundred or so, or like 200 or 600, whatever years. Yeah. Um, before they finally discovered that it was safe to come out and people moved back to the surface, those mechanics kind of had to figure out ways to main, to keep everybody alive and to maintain that balance with nature. So they became these kind of mechanical shaman, like holy men type people, which is, you know, it's a pretty interesting concept. Um, and Jack, as it turns out, comes from that line. And later on, we actually meet another old blood. Who is uh, turns turns out to be um, Hannah's sort of nursemaid teacher type person. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's fascinating when we get into this relationship between the old bloods and and the uh, and the lizard people. Uh, that is just it's bizarre, and I do wish it would have been finished because I would have liked to have seen what the end result uh, was going to be of the big reveal. One of the things that's very interesting about Whoa! this series is the fact that 600 years have passed and yet people are still trying to figure out how technology works. And I like that idea of people have forgotten about history. I mean, we've seen it before. Today we have people trying to recreate, well, how did they build the pyramids? Or how did just even not too long ago, how did you make a catapult? Or the, the what's it, the trebuchet um, that they used to launch rocks and boulders at people in a war. They, today a lot of people don't know how did you actually build those and make them work. Well, that's what we find a lot in, in Cadillacs and Dinosaurs is that they they don't know how a train works or they very few people know how a train works or they've mm-hmm. never seen nobody anyone fly. Nobody knows how fly. to drive a car. Yeah, nobody knows how to drive a car except for the Old Bloods or a very limited number of, of the Old Bloods, Jack in particular. So I love that that concept in this story. But I think it's also telling a little bit, and I mentioned earlier about this uh, issue seven with the Japan 2010 incident, that... Uh, just says, hey, maybe we ought to maybe move away from the computers a little bit and pay attention to how do we run a, a an electric plant or how do we prevent a nuclear plant from going nova if something you know should happen? Uh, because I think too many of us aren't aware of just basic mechanical concepts that oh, yeah. help us live our everyday lives. Mm. But then right now we don't have to be. And hey, I, with, I bought a know, book a few years ago. It's a little pocketbook that it's like a thousand pages long, little pocketbook that yeah, tells you but everything about mathematicals. You, you're damn right. I tell you what, when the next house we build, it's going to have a safe room in it. That's going to be zombie proof. Something that I really enjoy about this is like, like Scharnhorst. The names chosen are so 
colorful and so evocative of things. Because uh, to me, a Tenrec is a hedgehog. But, you know, at one point they're like, and here's my friend, James Ptolemy. I'm like, ooh, I vaguely know what that means. You know, there, there's, there's a real feeling of alienness to this future world while still being, you know, accessible enough, understandable enough to us, the Schmendrix of 2010, to where you can look at it and say, you know, to them, the, the, you know, the Greek, the, the days of the Greeks and the French Revolution and 1979 are basically all the same thing. It's all ancient history and it kind of blurs together. Yeah. But I like the way that, you know, that comes across in subtle ways through the language and through, you'll see bits and pieces of, of something that we know, like the Scrabble tiles, that is completely inexplicable to these people. Yeah. It's like the old joke of, uh, you know, in the future, people will think that every corner we worship the god Usmail. Mm-hmm. But I had a point. I was going there. Okay. And then I then I saw there was a picture of Hannah, and I was just like, hang Yeah, you 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 uh you made a note here in, in the show notes, Matthew. Boobies. <laughs> this kind of it, the Hannah thing is really spectacularly done. Um, Dave Stevens, who did the Rocketeer. Yeah, I love his stuff. It's spectacularly beautiful women, even when she's fully clothed. You know, it's not as though she's not running around in a Wonder Woman outfit, even. She's wearing pants and, you know, a, a top, sometimes a jacket and a top. And even in those sequences, you're just like, my God, that's a striking woman. She'll walk in fully dressed, you know, covered in layers and layers of things, and you're just like, it's so it's almost loving the way he renders her face. But then we meet her mom and her little sister mm-hmm. and her mom is just as evocatively drawn, you know, and her baby sister, who's like 10 or 12, you're just like, Oh, what a pretty little girl. And you see more than just, you know, Hannah's boobies. You see that, you know, the bloodline and that family resemblance. And it's just amazing what he does with his female characters in general. But Hannah in specific, I'm just like, wow. You know, if this woman were alive, I would follow her around and, and buy her things. <laughs> you know, you I, need some soap, honey? I, I'll buy you some soap. You know, I think uh, Rocketeer, isn't that another series that's also incomplete? It just kind of ends. It ends on a high note, but it just also kind of it. Well, the first arc does sort of end, but yeah, it just sort of goes whoop. And, you know, Dave did pass away a couple of years well, ago, yeah, so we so won't be seeing any more Rocketeer. You were talking about Betty um, and how well Betty is drawn in the original series. I'm, I'm Actually, as you mentioned that, I had the Complete Adventures, the deluxe hardcover sitting here. And I just so happen mm-hmm. to – I got to flip over to that page where he busts in on her doing artistic Betty Page nudes. Yeah. So uh, – you, yeah. you have to love that. And it's not even so much of a cheesecake thing, although – don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy the cheesecake bit of it, but it's something that well, the art is just so striking. Mm-hmm. Even when, you know, w- when you're drawing an ugly character, Scharnhorst, you know, this enormous, fat, angry German woman who lives underground and is kind of, you know, like, like temperance from, uh, from Firefly. She runs her own little thing and she's tough as nails and yeah. she hates everybody and everything. And that's how she gets to be in charge. You know, every sequence that she's in, you're just like, man. She annoys me, but, you know, she's a commanding presence, and she's so well-drawn. And from, you know, panel to panel, you don't mistake her for anybody else, not just because, you know, 
It's it's not like, oh, well, she's wearing the the purple pants and has green skin. That's how I know who she is. It's this is a character from, you know, from panel to panel, the same face. Mm-hmm. The expressions throughout it, if you if you look at Hannah's face, she has a few expressions that crop up over and over. There are things that you see in her face when she's confused or, you know, when she's really excited about something. And you see that same facial expression just like you would in a real person. Right. You know, that's amazing to me. You know, uh, LTL Prince is a company that we've been running some articles about. They have these big old wall art, essentially sticky pieces of wall art, seven feet tall. They've got a couple of them, uh, Flash Gordon. They just announced yesterday, or today, I'm sorry, the Mars Attacks Prince. They've got uh, uh, Dragon's Lair, the video game, and and many, many others, some Star Trek stuff that's pretty cool. I'm going to tell them next that the next property that they need to go for is is Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Oh, definitely. I yeah. would love to have a seven foot print of Jack and Hannah shooting at a dinosaur stuck mm-hmm. on the wall. That would be from the back totally of a awesome. like a sixty four, a sixty four. You know, yeah, that mask. would be totally awesome. But you know, not every. I mean, I, you know, Dave Stevens, Mark Schultz, um, Adam Hughes, they all do wonderful art that has some cheesecakey aspects to it. But I think it's the detail and the attention to detail in it that I appreciate more than just a, you know, a busty pose or something like that. Right. And it's, you know, it's not even as though she's ridiculously busty. You know, we're dealing with a relatively realistic female form. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are points where, you know, she's not like, you know, the little tiny bodies are the problem that I have when you see, like, I don't want to mention any names called Rob Liefeld, where Mm -hmm. if this woman existed, her spine would snap from the sheer weight of her breastuses, you know, it's it's real. Especially without without any feet. Exactly. <laughs> From an artistic perspective, this is an amazing, yeah. an amazing body of work. And I say spin even if Mark bucks. never does oh yeah. If Mark never does anything else, just looking at the pretty pictures is totally worth it. and there are a couple of, you know, total EC uh snap endings, those little O. Henry endings at one point where they recover the magical case of great value. And they find that it's just full of these little green pieces of paper with guys' heads on them, and they're completely worthless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I love that reveal. That cracks me up every single time. Well, you had mentioned these Will Eisner, these Will Eisner moments. You know, Mark mm-hmm. Schultz is actually writing the current Spirit series for DC Comics in the new First now, Wave universe. So I, I did not know that. I'm, I'm picking up the book, but I think there's only like two issues out now. Yeah, one issue out, and it, unless there's a second one that comes out this week, fantastic writing. Fantastic writing. You have to read it. And just like last Saturday with the uh, Chinatown Death Cloud series, Paul Malmont, the author of that book, is writing the Doc Savage books for DC Comics now. So it's it's there's these wonderful ties that are going on, and it's good to see really good writers landing these jobs that are right up their alley and the spirit and Mark Schultz joined together because of the work that he did with, uh, with this series. Rodrigo wrap it up for us. All right. Um, you mean like my thoughts or you mean like what happened in the story? Yeah. Final thoughts. (laughs) Well, we don't know what happened in the story. It ended in 14 issues. Yes, that's right. What happens in the story is next time we will (laughs) see how they get out of this mess, but we don't. Um, actually, never... it's like the big war was about to happen. That's, yeah, that's that's, that's it... was disappointing. Yep. Um. Um. I liked it. Yay! <laughs> but but I liked it the for a lot. It's it's a very complete 
despite being incomplete. It's it's like the the full like the triple threat kind of thing. You know, it's like great art, a a a hidden storyline that as you read this, you're like, oh man, all those little vignettes that I totally skipped because I'm lazy are relevant. Hey, stop talking about me. I'm right here. <laughs> um, well, just imagine those you know, those little vignettes spread over ten years. Yeah, and oh god, yes, and um, I can like it, it's kind of that thing. Like I was talking with cars, it's like there are things about it that seem familiar, but rather than it than that seeing like oh well, he's just ripping off you know pulp, or he's just ripping off Turok the dinosaur hunter, or whatever. I have no idea actually when that came out. <laughs> um, 1962. Well, there you go. So, yes, maybe that. But, you know, it actually feels more like an homage or like, like source material. You know, um, the, the, the two-fisted hero, the, the weird shamanism, all that stuff is kind of brought together in a really awesome way. I would give this, you know, I, it does get brought down a little bit because it's not complete. And because actually I found Jack to sometimes be kind of annoying in his like pig headed, you know, we have to respect nature kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf and definitely give it a recommendation. Cool. I, I enjoyed this series so much. I, again, I followed it for 10 years and picking it up every time I saw a copy on the, on the comic book stand, fantastic stories, great art. Uh, I'm disappointed that it doesn't have a conclusion or that, you know, maybe, Maybe the fifteenth issue is set to come out this year, considering how the issues started to spread further and further apart. Maybe it's an exponential scale of release that Schultz yeah, is going nice. for here. Uh, I would say I, I like this so much, and it's collected in two different volumes. I say pick them up. Uh, four and a half slices of meatloaf for me, mm. Matthew. I think that the concept of an ending, while meritorious is, and this could just be me having read billions and billions of comic books, it's not necessarily necessary. And I don't mind the lack of an ending here so much as I was troubled by the the speed of the buildup. I know what he was going for, and, you know, by and large, it did work. But when it when it came down to it, the amount of time it took me, the four issues that it took me, to get into this were in, you know, Cadillacs and dinosaurs terms, like 17 years worth of publication. <laughs> yeah. So if I were buying this off the stands and I bought issue one, you know, 20 odd years ago, and, you know, I waited and I bought issue two 17 odd years ago, and I was just kind of, you know, wow, um, I, I, I like it. I don't love it. It's, it's amazing to look at, but I don't know. And that may be one of the reasons why I never really pegged to the series back in the day. I mean, I'm aware of it. I've been aware of it and the basic, you know, bits and pieces of it, but having read through it, even with the pacing issues, it's just so damn pretty <laughs> that I would have to, I would have to go with three slices of meatloaf as well, simply because even if you can't get into the stories, if you have trouble, you know, if it's halting getting into the stories, it's just so amazing to sit there and look and go, wow, look, oh, wow, that look, wow. You know, to, to take the art in and just to, to, you know, his technology, the machinery is not picture perfect, obviously, because Jack has, you know, reverse engineered, but he draws a Cadillac that looks like a specific year and model of Cadillac. Yep. And he draws a Hannah that looks like a specific year and model of Hannah. 
<laughs> and oh my God, it was a good year. But she's at least eighteen. Let's point that out. She's like twenty eight, twenty nine, yeah. and from my, I, I, she's an ambassador. That takes weeks. <laughs> she's grown. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us talk about the Xenozoic Tales. Go definitely Xenozoic. check it out. Go check it out. It's definitely worth the time. Also want to thank uh, P. Russo over at the iTunes uh, Music Store who gave us a five-star review this week and everyone else who's been a part of the Major Spoilers ex- experience. Be sure to listen to the podcast or other podcast critical hit. Check out the website, Majorspoilers.com. We've got forums. We've got Twitter feeds. We've got a whole lot more. It's all right there for you. Next week, we're back to the normal, or as normal as you can get when we're talking about Warren Ellis, as we take a look at The Absolute Authority, Volume 1. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Bad, bad way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Star Raven reads like a man of iron. Might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the hard cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010.